Taiwan has extended its level three COVID restrictions for another two weeks to July 12. This means masks will continue to be mandatory outside the home and non-essential businesses will need to stay closed. There will continue to be a ban on indoor gatherings of more than four people and outdoor gatherings of more than nine. Health Minister Chen Shih-chung said on Wednesday that Taiwan's COVID epidemic has shown signs of improvement but has yet to reach the criteria for easing restrictions. The main reason is that although the overall trend has improved during this period of time, the situation has not yet met the standards we wanted. So we're extending the alert for another two weeks. If we all practice restraint for a while longer and we all do our bit, we may be able to return to a more stable situation after July 12th. The health minister reported 104 new local infections and 24 COVID-related deaths on Wednesday. He said there are multiple COVID clusters across the country, including at nursing homes, hospitals and Taipei's fruit and vegetable wholesale markets. The government has plans to expand COVID testing so as to bring viral transmission under control. Turning now to the COVID vaccination campaign, so far nearly 1.62 million people have received at least one dose of a two-dose course. That's about 7% of the population. The Central Epidemic Command Center aims to raise the vaccination rate to 15% of the population before the end of August. Got vaccinated yet? The CECC has opened up vaccines to adults 75 and older, as well as pregnant women. To date, Taiwan has taken delivery of 1.96 million AstraZeneca doses and 2.89 million doses of Moderna. It's administered about 1.62 million doses so far, leaving about 3.2 million doses. The government's goal is to use them up by the end of August, so that 15 percent of the population has had at least one shot. I think that we need at least 30 percent. 30 percent is already setting the bar low. Coverage of 15.5 percent won't have an obvious effect. So we should set a target of at least 30 to 40 percent, then see what the epidemic situation is at the time. And this is not an unattainable goal, because as a matter of fact, people are demonstrating a strong willingness to get vaccinated. Vaccine willingness is actually quite high. Infectious diseases expert Huang Yiming thinks at least 30 percent of the population should receive one dose before COVID restrictions can be safely lifted. With an eye on speeding up progress, the CECC plans to widen vaccine eligibility to the top nine priority groups starting July 1st. Recipients will be allowed to choose their brand of vaccine. Vaccines will open up to nearly 2 million people in priority groups 1 to 8. The ninth priority group is people who have already received one vaccine dose. This group includes 41,000 people who had paid out of pocket for a shot earlier this year and who will now be eligible for a free second dose. In related news, AstraZeneca has reported on a study done by the University of Oxford. It showed that AstraZeneca's vaccine provides protection against the Delta and Kappa COVID variants first found in India. Researchers found that it was as effective against those variants as it was for the Alpha and Gamma variants first identified in the UK and Brazil, respectively. AstraZeneca is releasing this information to bolster public confidence, to bolster people's confidence in its vaccine. 
Besides the South African variant, there are other variants that include ones found in India and Brazil. The protective effect of AZ against these strains is still acceptable, at around 60 to 70 percent. Vaccine willingness remains high, and on Monday, more than 48,000 doses were administered nationwide. It's not clear yet when the next overseas shipment will arrive, but the CECC is keen to maintain the momentum of the vaccine campaign. UBI Pharma had a smashing success of a debut on the emerging stock market on Wednesday. After pricing shares at 30 NT in its IPO, UBI Pharma saw its shares soar by more than seven times to a high of 220 NT. The company is a subsidiary of Taiwanese COVID vaccine developer United Biochemical, which has reached a deal to supply one million vaccine doses to Paraguay. Vaccine developer Medigen was the first in Taiwan to unveil the results of Phase 2 testing for its COVID vaccine candidate. It's now preparing to launch Phase 3 trials. Meanwhile, United Biomedical isn't far behind, with plans to announce its Phase 2 outcomes in late June. Already, Paraguay has pre-ordered 1 million doses of its vaccine. Basically, in mid-June, we'll be able to sort out the data. At the end of June, we will apply for EUA. Say that on July 15th, we successfully get the unanimous approval of the expert committee and obtain EUA. We'd be able to deliver several million doses the very next day. We would be able to deliver all 5 million doses. On Wednesday, United Biomedical subsidiary UBI Pharma made its second debut on Taiwan's emerging stock market. Although the IPO was priced at 30 NT per share, UBI Pharma opened higher at 37.5. Then, less than an hour into trading, it shot up sixfold to hit 220 NT. It's a new stock, and its listed price was on the low end. If there's a lot of capital flowing in and out, you'll see more intense ups and downs. UBI Pharma first appeared on the emerging stock market in 2015, but was delisted in October 2019. Its second debut was a roaring success, propelled by its parent company's vaccine venture. Whether United Biomedical's Phase 2 trial is as successful as Medigen's and whether its vaccine obtains EUA will impact the entire group's performance on the market. Taiwan's Emerging Stock Board has no limits on price fluctuation and it restricts trading on leverage. Before making a purchase, traders need to ensure they have enough funds in their account. The Baltic country of Lithuania has announced a donation of 20,000 AstraZeneca vaccine doses to Taiwan. On social media, Lithuania's foreign minister said freedom-loving people should look out for each other. Taiwan lawmakers have expressed their gratitude to Lithuania. They aren't like the U.S. or Japan, which have a greater supply of vaccines. Even so, with their limited resources, they're doing all they can to support their old friend Taiwan at a time when Taiwan needs vaccines the most. This is really a moving gesture, and we hope that in the future, our two sides can set up representative offices in each other's territories to cement this bilateral relationship. And because of some political issues, Taiwan cannot get vaccines. So um, Japan donated vaccines and then U.S. also donated. So I'm very happy with my country's decision to donate vaccines to Taiwan. Uh, uh, the donation has prompted an outpouring of thanks from the everyday Taiwanese. 
Many have tried to return the favor by placing online orders for Lithuanian chocolate. Taiwanese food giant Imei Foods plans to express its appreciation too. As a token of its thanks, it plans to send a 20-foot-long container crate filled with its signature snack puffs. Taking care of a loved ones at home is never easy, and it's even less so in a pandemic. Family caregivers face long hours without a break, which can lead to exhaustion and mental drain. The Taiwan Association of Family Caregivers is asking for government help during this difficult time. Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang visited the NGO to find out more. It's been more than a month since the government instated the Level 3 COVID alert in Taiwan. The restrictions are hard on everyone, but especially so for people who look after family members who are elderly, frail or ill. The Taiwan Association of Family Caregivers says the government should offer emergency respite services to help family caregivers. Although epidemic prevention is very important now, one thing that is also very important is emergency respite services. Epidemic prevention measures have limited the amount of manpower at long-term care institutions. But something that should also be considered when allocating workers is priority levels. Such a system could take into account the situation of family caregivers with a heavy burden, such as caregivers who don't have anyone to fill in for them or who are taking care of multiple people. We must look into whether these kinds of caregivers have adequate support, especially now that daycare centers are closed. The association says the Taiwan's People's Food Bank Association has offered to help out by providing supplies to family caregivers in need. The food bank operates more than 150 community refrigerators all around Taiwan, which are stocked with supplies for family caregivers. Caregivers might have special needs for certain supplies right now, supplies that are different from what they usually need, particularly those who are in long-term care. They might need diapers, food and disinfecting materials. In addition, the association has launched a program to promote online interaction between caregivers and care experts. Its goal is to help family caregivers battle anxiety and isolation. After signing up online, caregivers are assigned to support groups comprised of four family caregivers and one professional caregivers who can offer support. In Taiwan, it's quite common for middle-aged and older family caregivers to rely on social media for daily life. So we launched this program, which puts five people into a line group so that they can serve as a support mechanism for one another. Family caregivers taking care of people with disabilities, with dementia, or with other physical and mental disabilities can join the scheme. They can sign up online or by calling us. After that, we'll match them up with one of our experts, like a social worker or a volunteer, so that it's four family caregivers to a group. We'll check up on them every day at 10 a.m. and at 4 p.m. If there are any problems, we will respond as fast as we can. According to a recent survey by Carers UK, 72% of caregivers reported having no breaks from their role during the pandemic, and 74% stated that they were exhausted as a result of caring. Some countries have put forward measures to make life easier for caregivers. Australia has launched an emergency respite service, as well as an online counseling platform. The UK eased movement and visit restrictions to allow household support bubbles so that members of more than one household can gather to help with care. Over in New Zealand, there are measures such as care packages and shopping assistance. Other countries have programs that allow caregivers to take paid leave. Experts say Taiwan should consider these kinds of measures to help family caregivers get through this tough period. 
Formosa News, Stephanie Yang, Chen Bohan in Taipei. Rapid testing is underway at fruit and vegetable markets nationwide as local governments fight to contain the spread of COVID. The precautions are coming after an outbreak at wholesale markets run by Taipei Agricultural Products Marketing Corporation, Taiwan's largest wholesale market and packaging center for produce. Thousands of market employees and vendors have already been tested in New Taipei, Taichung, Yunling and Zhanghua, and all the tests have come back negative so far. At this wholesale produce market in Taichung, there's a long line of people waiting to get a rapid COVID test. A test is required for every person who regularly enters the facility. I'm actually waiting right now. I don't know how long it will be before it's my turn. Like, I'm already off work for the day, but I'm still waiting here. Whatever, they say get tested, so we get tested. That's fine. Even as it took time out of their day, the market workers with a picture of cooperation in the campaign to ward off a cluster infection. In Taichung, seven major wholesale markets are conducting rapid screening on vendors, porters and drivers. As of noon on Wednesday, all 1,359 people tested had gotten a negative result. Over at the Shiloh Agricultural Products Market in Yunming County, 212 people have been screened and all have tested negative. At Zhanghua's wholesale market in Shihu Township, testing is underway on 501 workers, including 40 truck drivers and cargo handlers who had recently been to Taipei, the cluster's epicenter. All over the country, wholesale markets are screening their staff after the outbreak at Taipei Agricultural Products Marketing Corporation. In New Taipei, which borders Taipei City, precautions were taken at top speed, with markets in Sanchong and Banqiao fully screened in a day. A total of 3,627 people were tested. Vaccinations began on Wednesday. New Taipei has registered 2,200 people for this first wave of vaccination. If you work in a fruit and vegetable market, or if you're a vendor, then you're one of the 2,200 people, and you can get vaccinated starting today. By this afternoon, 908 people were vaccinated. Local governments are racing to vaccinate to keep their wholesale markets from becoming the next vector of the virus. U.S. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has unveiled an eight-point action plan to hold China accountable for allegedly covering up information about COVID-19 last year. The Republican congressman outlined eight measures that the U.S. should take, including passing visa sanctions on China and allowing Americans to sue the Chinese government. He also called for reforming the World Health Organization and for Taiwan to be granted observer status in the global health body. Certain things you don't have to explain to the people of the world. They see the results. Is China really actually trying to get to the bottom of this? After last week's U.S.-Russia summit, U.S. President Joe Biden questioned China's efforts to uncover the origin of COVID-19. This week, U.S. Minority House Leader Kevin McCarthy released an eight-point plan titled Holding China Accountable. First, McCarthy asks House Republicans to promote the declassification of any intelligence on the origins of COVID. Second, he urges them to ensure that the U.S. no longer funds any gain-of-function research that's conducted in or with China. Third, he wants to prohibit the National Institutes of Health from funding governments that are, quote, intent on harming the U.S. and its allies. 
In his fourth point, McCarthy says that WHO's Director General should step down and that Taiwan should be granted observer status at the WHO. In his fifth point, McCarthy calls on Biden and Congress to continue investigating the origins of COVID. In his sixth, he calls on Congress to pass a new sanctions regime for the CCP, WHO, and other global organizations that, quote, willfully participated in the COVID-19 cover-up. The new regime should include economic sanctions and visa restrictions, he says. McCarthy then calls for the U.S. to waive China's sovereign immunity so that American families can sue the Chinese government for death and damages caused by COVID. His eighth proposal is that the 2022 Winter Olympics be relocated away from Beijing. Every day that China does not allow impartial third-party academics and investigators to conduct their inquiry is another day that it keeps the doubts alive. Many people, those in the U.S. Congress included, want to get to the truth and enforce accountability. After all, this virus has had a global impact. We respect and support all investigations that are designed to uncover the truth. Earlier this month, the G7 summit demanded a fresh COVID investigation with more transparency and accountability. Since COVID broke out in China more than a year ago, the world has paid a painful price. With countries slowly bringing their epidemics under control, calls for accountability are rising. With Level 3 alert extended to July 12th, an economist is warning of the knock-on effect to Taiwan's GDP growth. Xu Zhiqiang, an economics professor who leads a research team commissioned by Cathay Financial, says the alert extension could further dampen domestic consumption. Taiwan may fall short of this year's forecast of at least 5% economic growth, he said. Earlier this month, the government statistics agency had raised its GDP growth forecast to 5.46 percent. The economists say because of the government's 260 billion NT COVID bailout, Taiwan should be able to hit at least 4 percent growth, even if the pandemic gets worse. If you're craving a dose of culture amid COVID restrictions, the National Theatre and Concert Hall has you covered. With performance halls closed, the institution has launched an online arts and culture program featuring videos, courses and podcasts. The program hopes to keep artists and performances relevant and bring joy to audiences cooped up at home. Our very own Stephanie Yang spoke to organizers and artists to learn more about this online cultural program. The National Theatre and Concert Hall has been hit hard by the pandemic. Since the start of the Level 3 COVID alert, all performances have been cancelled or postponed. But now, the Performance Arts Centre has made the leap to the virtual world so that the public can continue supporting artists. The biggest impact that the pandemic has had on the National Theatre and Concert Hall is that the performance venues have had to close. As a result, all our performances have been cancelled or postponed. But since people can't go to performance venues, that has challenged us to consider other performance forms and possibilities. We thought of ways to put on shows without a physical stage so that art can stay popular and influential. This is probably the biggest challenge that the National Theatre and Concert Hall and other large performance venues around the world have had to face. The National Theatre and Concert Hall has launched an array of arts activities and events online. They include videos, live broadcasts and online courses. 
The National Theatre and Concert Hall has launched the When We Are Home program. The epidemic has closed theaters to audiences, but we believe in the healing and emotional power of art, which is especially important at this critical juncture. So we asked a lot of artists and art groups to join us in this. They include the Bulurayang Dance Company and the Art Theatre Troupe, among others. We expect to create more than 20 pieces of art, including art courses, activities, documentaries, podcasts, and so on. We'll upload all this to the internet so that people at home can be in close quarters with the art world while at home. The first video of the series was created by Taidong's Bu La Reyang Dance Company. Their video offers a humorous glimpse into the daily lives of its dancers in the pandemic. The video shows the dancers cooking, painting, and even pretend fishing at home. The artistic director of the dance troupe Bu La Reyang, Pagaralava, says he hopes the video will inspire others to stay positive. This epidemic has affected all industries, but of course, it's been worse for arts and culture. Usually, we have to prepare for half a year before a performance, or up to one year. But we don't have any shows now, and we'll probably not be able to carry on with performances immediately after restrictions are lifted. It's going to be a long period of work. We don't know when our next performance will be, so of course we are worried. Besides applying for the relief schemes, our dance company has to look for new possibilities. Our troupe has always offered a unique style to people. That is, a little humor and a little nonsense. We are always giving off good vibes. So now that we are all in our own homes, what can we do? That's how we came up with the video. I think that the main point of the video is to remind us that no matter how tough life is, we all have to find things that make us happy. The National Theatre and Concert Hall will post new videos on its YouTube channel every week. It hopes that with its online events, the public will be able to stay in touch with their artistic side without having to step outside. For most of news, Stephanie Yang, Lu Bo Chong in Taipei.